We're just getting comfortable in Michael's new office. In the new hey, <laughs> office. Would you call it office? I what don't, would you call it? a dirty word. It's Ooh. not an office. No, ah. I'd say studio. A studio. creative studio? Creative studio, yes. Mm. Okay. Do you reckon the uh, the definition of the framing changes to the creativity of the, uh, the individuals I think so. in the room? I think so. Yeah. If, if, if people or you didn't give it the, the, the brand of an office, uh, of a studio, <laughs> I should say. Like if you, if, if, if you used it as an office now, Mm-hmm. And that was the wording, that was what you used as the language. Mm. It would make a big difference, I think. Yeah, I think it would as well. Mm. Uh, my thoughts going to work if, if I was a creative. Going to work, there's a word right there. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, stepping into the place where I create. Mm. <laughs> uh, if it was an office, then I'd think it's work. But if it's a studio, then yeah, I guess uh, as a, if you were a videographer or photographer or a designer, then there's a difference there, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, saying definitely. that you're going in to produce something. Yeah, create. You're yeah. going into mm. a creative space. And I think all work should be like that, really. Mm. I mean, most, I think every job has a creative element. Yeah. Yep. I'd agree with that. It certainly does. I'm, I'm thinking um, when I'm doing my mentorship, when I actually go through the helping people build their creativity or, or, or discover their creative side is, is, is I get them to designate an area to, to be creative in. And that area is like a sacred area. And I think I learned that from, from Jordan Peterson. I think he, once he said he goes into his room to, um, to write his books, he was just yeah. like, if anyone comes and disrupts him, like mm. he's an angry person. Mm. It's like the one thing you don't do in his family is when he's writing, yeah, okay. don't, come and, oh. don't come and disrupt him. Um, and it's because it's like you know it's it's a it's that space that you need yeah. to create. I can imagine yeah. that place with the books and and posters and probably music on and stuff like that. My um my grand's house in London when I was a kid, we used to go down there like twice a year, and they had a a guy who rented a room upstairs, and this place was like just the weirdest. I only ever saw him in the room. Um, it had books from floor to ceiling. He was a writer, like mm-hmm. in music and all sorts of stuff, playwright and all, all sorts of things. Really, really meek, sort of quiet guy, Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> and it, just such memories of, of like annoying him, obviously, as kids, Scottish kids down in, in London, knocking on his door. And he was really ni- always really nice. Um, but yeah, he just used to write. And there'd be classical music playing, there'd just be this beautiful light and these books everywhere on his desk and messy stuff. Um, so I think, yeah, creating a space for thinking, for creativity, for, mm. for any sort of work is really important. Having defined spaces. Mm. Have, have you always been creative? Hmm. I, I, I think so. From a, I used to always draw. Um, it's hard, creativity is hard as a kid because I think most kids are naturally creative. Um, but yeah, through my teens, I was always um, drawing and designing and doing all sorts of things like that um and always been into language and music like as a kid we always used to play like lots of word games and language games so it's sort of um yeah always there was always some form of creativity be it scrabble do you say scrabble we did not so much as a kid we used to play like weird like um i can't remember the name of the games like guess the word or dictionary game or somebody would choose a word that nobody's heard of and Mm. everybody has to make up um make up like the definition and you have to go around and read the definition out 
and then the, the person has to who doesn't know what the word is has to choose or everybody has to choose what they think is the is the real definition mm-hmm. it's really good so we used to play and that was in the, actually in the same house like in my grand's house like the memories from that place a really weird old house in muzzle hill are awesome eh? from a just an experiential point of view and from the size i was at the time like mm-hmm. as a as a young kid yeah what about you luke do you would you say that you're a creative indiv- individual yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I'm always, once I'm like doing anything that's for myself or um, solution focused, focus on a problem, it's when my creativity is at its best. If I reflect when I'm younger, I was often a young boy lost in their own imagination. Um, so I was always in a realm of fantasy, I suppose. Um, and when I was young, I'd disappear into the bush, come up with ideas, create structures. Um, animal hospitals, bee hospitals, things like that. Um, and I think, I think it's something that, that is a struggle to return to at times when you're in a very corporate structure um, and creativity can be suppressed by a top-down approach and doing the same thing and the same activity, which I suppose is why the longest I've ever been in a job is three years. Yeah. And that's my current job um, because I was always building something from scratch and then when it hit a point where it was maintaining or managing i got bored yeah yeah Yeah, i got bored and would move on to find something else that required to be built from scratch it's probably why i'm not more financially well off (laughs) (laughs) oh it's 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 a it's a a good point to make but i think it's a reflection of of the personalities that we have between all three of us because obviously we come onto this conversation not just like now we just open up a conversation and we can let and we can go with it and it's because we're, we're open individuals but often open individuals are not closers mm. you know they're not the sort of people that sealing the deals and mm. and and finishing off the product it's they're like heads okay. in the clouds somewhere yeah somewhere yeah around. i'm this i mean the amount of like I've, I've got three quarters away through a book that i've written or i've got um you know, some content or an idea that I've moved down, I'm like, oh, okay, this is amazing. But then as soon as that dopamine of the idea mm. and the, the first few steps goes away, I'm like, okay, oh, this is done now. I'm done with this. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, that's something I've had to work on. It's definitely something where having the external count- accountability has always been has been helpful with that. But I do need to kind of like get that validation of someone to say, hey, look, this is a great idea. Mm. Finish it because it's yeah. going to work. Yep. Um, I guess maybe the, it's potentially self-doubt creep starts to creep in when you get like 75%, 80% through and yep. the excitement starts to disappear and the buzz of it disappears and all of a sudden it's like, you know, the ego pops up and says, actually, no, man, and this, is not, this idea is not as good as you think mm. it was. This book is not as good as you think it is. Let's just leave it there. That, yeah. was, that was exciting, but yeah, you don't need to go anywhere. Come on, mate, don't kid yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's where mentors, I suppose, come in, don't they? Um, mm. Somebody to, to see that potential that you have and... And obviously, and maybe not see the potential that you have, and maybe tell you straight or whatever. But you know, if if you can find the right people to to tell you the truth and 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 get you through it, I think you're you're on the right path. Mm-hmm. I've never really had mentors. Did you have a mentor as a kid, Luke, or, or a teen, or, or no. no? I'm I'm similar. I'm yeah, similar. I no, didn't. it wasn't until I began searching certain people out. Um, and then there's an energy that comes with that guy. I need to understand that more, or I need to understand myself more. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't. Um, not even my sport coaches, I wouldn't consider to be mentors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think they were more about 
telling you what they needed you to do to get the outcome that they require. Which required. is exactly what you're talking about with with work as well. Mm. And it's yeah. all come all stems from the education system, doesn't it? Really, that the whole, you know, you must learn this, you must do mm. that, you must stay quiet, just be, do that one thing for however long, and then you can move on to the next. Yeah, I think that's what's made me relax even around my sons as they come into that point of do they do ATAR, do they mm. do alternate pathways, and I realise you're asking a 15 year old, you know, teen. To decide what they want to do 16 for their life. Now. Yeah, well, that's true. You turn sixteen, um, and I'm looking at that now, going, it's far more important that you you investigate interests that might become passions, um, because yeah. if you find that, then I think you'll be far more happy if you're doing anything close to yeah. that within a vocation. So your job there as as the dad is to put things in front of them but not force anything it's sort of show them lots of stuff speak to them about different topics and and let let them experience encourage that yeah Yeah. I think the flip side of that too is to deal with your own stuff that comes to the surface of around but what are you going to do and you need to have a goal and you need to have a plan and you know Bob's son he's doing this he's like he's he's killing it correct already a guinea not only are you comparing yourself you're then comparing them to others or at the core of it perhaps you are worried about how you'll be seen so I think we did um, we've started a tradition where everyone around the person whose birthday is shares something about who they are Mm. Um, we started recently it was my brother's idea Um, and he's getting into rites of passage I really like it so and it was, it was interesting to hear the commonality of what people share about that person. Um, but at the same time, it was really good to be able to express that the highlights were around you're a determined person, you're a caring person, not around you're really good at this or you're really good at that. And, and look, there's things he's good at, but it was more around who you are as a person and what your character is. Yeah, more yeah. values than outcomes yeah, or achievements. Think, yeah, and I thought, yeah, that's, that's good. And I think my eldest son has taught me that he was talking through, like he could have implied himself to school, he's very yeah. smart, but where he is at that point in time wasn't ready to do. But how he turned out, what he said he was going to do, he's gone and done. Mm-hmm. It's an alternate way, but he's done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, it teaches me to go, yeah, you probably just need to relax, chill out a little bit and love your kids through it yeah. and walk the journey with yeah. them and support them in it. I just had a... An interesting conversation with the, um, the mechanic who just picked my car up off, and he went in there, went to pay and stuff, and he's like, well, what, what do you do, just what, out of interest? And I was you know, telling him about how I help people manage their stress and anxiety through breath control and, and, and us consulting sleep and things like that. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's like, oh, my wife could really deal with, um, you know, get, deal with, she has real bad anxiety, et cetera, et cetera, I'll give me your card or whatever. But then he started talking about, he got into a conversation about his daughter, and he said his daughter is uh, she's 13 years old. She's been doing ballet since she was three years old. Mm. So she's now 10 years into ballet, and she's like now pretty good at it. She's been invited by the Australian Ballet School for training and all things like that. But she's now come up to me and said, Dad, I actually don't think I like ballet, mm. but I don't think I can get out of it because I've been doing it for so long. Wow. I spend 20 hours, a day, 20 hours a week doing it, and I just don't know what else I would do with my life. Mm. And I was saying to him, I was like, look, and he was saying, look, don't worry, like you can do what you like. Um, you know, she's like, what about mom? What about grandma? Yeah. Every time I go and see them, all they talk about is ballet. And I was like, he was like, wow, what have I done to my kid? He's like, all I wanted to do is just get them into dancing because mm-hmm. uh, I thought they'd like it. And now like, she's defined defined by it. That's it. And I said, look, it's a, it's a part of our identity. It's like mm-hmm. what will happen is she might find a way out, but then she's going to go through a crash where it's going to be low and not 
you have to rediscover yourself. Yeah. And you have to go through a process of allowing the ego to die and being reborn. Yeah. But and everybody else's ego as well to die. Yeah. 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 And, she, yeah. and he was like, she's Granny, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking to you, Granny. He was like, he, what did he say? He's like, she's 13. She's not 50. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's, not, she's not at a midlife crisis yet. I was like, well, mate, you were, uh, she, she's, she's an early riser. She's obviously mature enough to realize that yeah. at 13 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, look, that's, that's, it's what I've gone through with, with Sam, my, my middle son, is um, exceptionally good at um, basketball. Um, but he made a decision over two years where he wasn't enjoying it. And so he's taken a year off this year. And lots of people are saying, you know, you've, you've done all the hard work, you're there now, and, and different things. But he's hit a point that when he was, well, he was 15 at the time where he went, it's not bringing me joy. And as much as everyone else goes, but you're good at it and you should do that and you're naturally gifted in that way, I think you've got to come to a point where you realise if it's not a passion, if it's not bringing you joy, life's too short to do something that doesn't bring you joy. Now, the people that are having more an issue are people around him than himself. And he's, <laughs> yeah. he's made his call, he's made his decision, but that's been a decision two years in the making. And it started with conversations like that. Mm. I'm not sure I want to play anymore. I'm not really enjoying it. And if you, if you don't listen to them and help them through it, I do believe they start crashing. They start getting, you know, melancholic or periods of depression where they feel like they're not in control of their own life, that they're being controlled. And once they have that story running that says, I have to, and there's resignation around that, mm. it has a direct emotional impact upon oh, them. Definitely, definitely. Um, so I think it's just leading him through. It sounds like as a dad though, at least he's aware. Yeah, he, you know. he was. He was, he, was you know, he was having a conversation with me, and yeah. he, he wasn't the sort of guy who he was like, "I'm not a spiritual sort of guy," but you know, I was like, "I'm aware that people need to just do what they love and not what mm. society's telling them to do and what parents want them to do." It's like now that's the whole you know, the, the idea of individuation, right? It's mm. it's becoming who you are, seeing how free how free you mm. really are, and it's and the freedom can be quite scary, actually. Yeah, it can be suddenly, um, you know. I've, got so much I could do like hmm. what can I do like yeah and that can become very narrow can, can sort of narrow the mind as well I think sort of but in the end freedom like controlling the the knowledge of how free we really are to to pursue whatever we want to do hmm. um, and that's what we're saying like it's all about experience like you've hmm. just got to experience different things and I'm speaking on behalf of Delphine right now she's obviously left the country left the mm. job left the career in marketing to go over to do um, a, a dive masters and do some research conservation work for three months but she's like I don't know what I'm going to do after it mm. and like the the fear that she has of not knowing what she's going to do after it is all based around she has no identity she's got no identity of what's next she had this identity of being this marketing person at a winery uh, for a wine company and that was who she lived to and I've just said, look, you, you're, on, you're on that first step of the hero's journey. Mm. It's like mm. you, you've, you've took the call to adventure. I was like, the next step is all your challenges. Everything that you do now is just you're going to face your own fears, your challenges, and you're going you're gonna to find something in a cave somewhere. And what I mean by that is that you, you're going to go into some darkness, mm. but you're going to discover who you are through that darkness. And you know, when you find that and what it is who you are and you come back out again, you start living that person that's bringing that back into the, you know, into the known world. It's, it's that part of the cycle that... Yep everyone does if they're willing to take that call to adventure and that's the yeah. willing to take mm, is the yeah. is the harder part nietzsche talks about that he what's his quote become who you are that's young 
Um, well, I think Nietzsche, I think it was Nietzsche originally mm. become who you are. He was a big follower of... Uh, actually, I'll, I'll check that out. We should have a... Nietzsche, we should Nietzsche. have somebody... Who's the guy on Joe Rogan? Yeah. Um, Jamie? <laughs> Just to, can you look yeah. that up? Yeah, Jamie? Yeah. could you check that out? <laughs> put it, put Nietzsche, it on the Nietzsche screen. was before Jung. But I know Jung, Jung is the, the individual, individual yeah, process. Yeah, but I think that quote, become, who, become you who you are, is, is Nietzschean. Yeah, I okay. think. I think I'm, I'm 95% sure. And he talks about, you know, um, just, again, it's a freedom thing. Like, just get out. Loneliness as well. Like, being, mm. yeah. being in um, solitude and allowing yourself that as a habit every day to think and to just take in and, and that's when thoughts will come to you about about your future mm. and about, mm. about your, the freedom that you have so um, where was I going with that with Nietzsche there was something else can't remember <laughs> become who you are like we, we, mm. we've got the potential in us to, to do what we want but yeah. we've got to as you said we've got to fight for it it's not it's not an easy thing you've got to visit the caves you've got to mm. you do Face the enemy, um, who could be yourself, obviously, as well. Well, yeah, well, or Granny, I'm still thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. But I think it's, it's also a bit of a segue into what I was talking about, wanted to talk about on this podcast, is that, you know, we, we do get to a point in life and realize, like, okay, well, that wasn't the right pathway to go down. That wasn't the path that I wanted to be on. Okay, then what's the next, what's the new direction? Mm. And uh, I wanted to talk about, you now with you two guys, obviously a little bit older than I have, but errors that you you might look back on it and go, it wasn't the right thing that you did in life, but it then turned out to be the right thing for the path that you wanted to take, or you know, because everything that turns out to be the, the, the correct path in the, at the end of the day. You know, yeah, exactly. And that's the question, isn't it? It's like, yeah. the, it's, um, the... like with me, if, if I was to look at before I came to Australia, becoming a respiratory and sleep scientist, I was working in a, a, the, the largest hospital in the UK and uh, had a, you know, a good support group around me and had a lot of, um, uh, there, was a, there was a good path going forward in terms of academic work and physicians and stuff like that. And I moved to Australia out of wanting to live in Australia and didn't really think about what it was going to be like for my career. Hmm. And I moved to a very small private health company in, in, in Western Australia that specializes in that, but they have no relationship with the public system and there was, there was no pathway moving forward in terms of respiratory scientists. So as that sort of career, mm-hmm. it was probably the worst career t- decision I ever could have ever made. But it, if I hadn't taken that path, then I wouldn't have realized that I wanted to have my own business potentially. Mm-hmm. Or I might have gone 10, 15 years down this and, and all of a sudden gone, Okay, now this is what this is what I want to do, or not. You certainly wouldn't be going to a tropical island with a beautiful woman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I would. I would be probably present, presenting somewhere at conferences all the time and, and running a running a department. In a that Martin had center. hair as well. That Martin. That's still, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I can look at look back at that and go, that was for me probably. In terms of career, probably was the worst. I, I, mm-hmm. if, if I'd stuck to being a respiratory scientist or got into the public system over here, I was prob- I'd probably be on 40 or 50k a year more than I am now. And if you're looking at your achievement in terms of mm-hmm. financial reward, then you would say, I'd say I was a failure. Mm-hmm. But in terms of what I've learned, the experiences I've got, what I've learned to manage in terms of the struggle to go through business, the struggle to go through working for a company where there isn't much movement forward through the company. And I almost felt like um, I wanted to just be like my own authority and realize that about myself and then go, okay, that's okay, that's, at least I want to be self-employed. Um, that's what I learned about myself. Mm. So there's always the lessons in, in, in whatever you do. And mm. I just wondered if it, with anything that you guys can think of. 
As I said, I haven't pondered the question, but I'm sure there's... You don't make mistakes? Uh, I, I reckon every day <laughs> I make mistakes. Um, I, I, flipping it not to... And, it, and I wouldn't class it as a mistake because in the end it's similar to you. Like my mum chose to leave Scotland um, mm -hmm. and marry, like marry my, my stepdad Don, who's no longer with us. Um, and move the family to Australia. So a decision for her, and I know it still plays on her mind big time. She mm -hmm. feels guilt. My sister, Joanne, still lives in Glasgow. She was 16 when we left. I was 14, mm -hmm. turning 15. Um, and I know she would say, and this is, I suppose, selfish on my behalf, she would say that it was, that, that plays on her, you know, it was a mistake. Like, she'll always question herself. Like, and, and she will always feel that. I think she'll always feel that guilt. But for me, it's like it was an opportunity for me. Um, so for, if, if I can use two people in the, in mm. the context of it, um, and again, I wouldn't say it was a mistake, or, but it was a very hard decision for my mum, like mm. super hard. Um, I can't imagine what she was sort of going through at the time, leaving you know, her daughter mm. um, at 16 in, in, a, in the other, liter literally the other side of the world. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, things happen, and, and as you said... Would you say that you're grateful for that? Yes, and I am grateful for it. You said that your, 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 your mum, uh, um, she still feels the guilt. Mm. Um, does she know that you're grateful and that you're yeah. really appreciative of yeah, like that? Yeah, she does. Stuff like yeah. That? Yeah. It's, it's probably, actually, probably not in, not well-defined, yeah. um, not in direct. Like Our family have never been, especially when we're younger, never been big emotional mm. talkers like very open about anything yeah. luckily like our kids are probably too far the other way actually tell us way too much um but <laughs> um, uh you know was, we were quite like very loving family very yeah. very loving lots of laughs lots of active lots of things doing lots of experiences but there was never sitting down and chatting about emotion like mm. emotion mm. luckily we we're i think I mean, it could have been worse if we were in a, a horrible family and we didn't do this and we didn't do that and there was none of that. But yeah, it's uh, interesting. I, I do ponder on that quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I'm very grateful to be where I am now and I've got to, you know, got to where I've gotten with the family as well. So yeah, I'm sure she'd love to hear it. Even yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, no, for sure. Even if, uh, you know, you're a Scottish tough family. It's like, you know, we don't, we, yeah. don't, we don't talk about our feelings. Actually, it's, that's just, not even like, it's not even a stereotypical like tough family. No, really. We're not a tough family at all. Yeah, we're quite okay. soft and softly spoken and introverted and yeah, sort yeah. of okay. quiet. So oh. it's just more reserved about you, you, what yeah, you're expressing not, rather yeah. than being yeah, like, definitely. I need to just shove this down and just yeah, be, yeah, a, yeah. be a man and get on with it. Yeah, no, nah, not at all. Yeah, yeah not okay. at all. Just more, just non, non-emotional chats, you know, mm. about anything. Um, which is interesting, and that's not. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, um, no. Because as I said, we were all we're all quite gentle, sort of loving people in our own right. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, interesting, interesting. Were you? What, what were you like with your parents when you were younger? Look, in regards to just being able to openly chat about emotion or anything, actually, any harder topic to cover. I think. I think I was a very busy child and I lived in my head. So I don't, I think I was very emotional. I may not know, have known how to express that. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure about how my family would have expressed that. Um, so 
I think the way I am now is probably somewhat of a response to that. I think sometimes things in your childhood motivate you in different directions. Definitely. Um, it, so def- well, it defines you. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think the way I am now probably possibly could indicate that it wasn't um, wasn't an overly emotional expressive environment. Um, or it could be that that's a story that runs for me because I was busy and I was always out and about as a young kid. Um, I think I would say that there was probably a lack of connection or I didn't feel connected. Yep. Um, I think that would probably be fair to say. Your parents yeah. together? Did they... um, my mum's passed. Oh, mum okay. and dad separated okay. when I was 26. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so dad, dad came out as, as gay. Um, so that was a pretty full-on journey for him. Wow. Okay. It's so late in his life to go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he would have been, what, 40, 50, Yeah, yeah, 40s, yeah. 50s. So wow. th- that was painful for mum, obviously, Oof. as well. So, you know, great that he was finally in a point in his life where he could feel comfortable enough yeah. to and be And still young enough as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, you've got a mum who's heartbroken. And kids yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, probably more articulating that for me it was like good for dad okay and i can see why oh, you're, you're going you're that mature way. enough at that 27 yeah, yeah. 27 i mean i was so. still in a church environment at that time uh, oh, wow, <clears> a church okay. environment that wouldn't agree um and with that, that decision your mum and dad were religious or yeah were, yeah that yeah. my whole life yeah yeah, yeah. dad was a pastor mum was heavily involved her whole life as well um so that was probably a conflict point for her and her belief system as well mm. Credit to mum, an open learner, grew through that, came to a place of acceptance in that. Um, Wow, what a journey she would have been on just... Yeah, I mean, and you look back at that, it would be still, when you've been married for so long, it would be a very, very emotionally hard journey. You layer on like the... He's a pastor, religion, yeah, and that, yeah, sort of yeah. that adds sort of amplifies. Correct, and the... if your belief system doesn't align with that decision, as as my, and then you're dealing with being heartbroken in that in that yep. place. So, um, and then for me at 26, it still mattered that your parents were separating. Mm-hmm. So you're still a child, you're still a kid. But of course. Um, yeah, so I think that though, you know, created openness between mum more in a deep way. I mean, I'd studied theology i'd moved out of the church environment i was asking bigger questions um and having bigger discussions and searching out differences so it was always a chance for mum and i to come back and talk through stuff which was which was good um yeah so Hmm. it's interesting because my dad's dad was a minister like church of scotland i think um and church of england protestant minister and he, he was the, the funniest, again, same house. So I don't know, it's all going something back about to this, this house. <laughs> something, there's frankly. certainly something about this house. Um, that was his house in, in London. Um, yeah, funny, because he never, like my parents weren't religious at all, even though both sides have, have sort of religious connection. Like my mum's dad was a Freemason and like the, the grand, whatever they call them. Um, but none of them, they're really good, my grandparents, in not dictating that into their probably into their kids lives as well and sort of forcing it upon them and but the school I went to was quite religious in regard it was just a part like a sort of open primary school in, in Edinburgh but I always remember going to church and it was a really interesting way to be brought up sort of listening to that and never really believing in mm. it because um, my parents weren't weren't strict about it at all um, religions played a really funny part of my life and something I'm more discovering now I think through Peterson and guys like that and the 
the, the sort of, I've always seen religion, I suppose, as a negative, mm. um, a negative thing, a dogmatic thing, um, which it is in certain, um, certain circumstances. But I'm, I'm starting to see a little bit more of the story, the, you know, the learnings, the, you know, in its pure form, like it's, it's about love, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a big difference between spirituality yep. and religion. Mm. I think religion can be connected to institutional environments, control. Of course, yeah. And if you look at a lot of these belief systems, they didn't start out with being controlling. Not at all. Um, yeah. I don't think Jesus was looking for a religion to be started after him. Um, <laughs> it's more about our need for structure and control, I think, than it is. Whereas I think what I like about spirituality, it is free. Completely, yeah. And we shouldn't try and control that. We should... I mean, I I joke with people, if God cares enough, if a divine being cares enough, possibly they'll do something about it. (laughs) If they don't, then maybe there's a different plan they have in place and we should just relax a little bit. Um, (laughs) I was thinking, coming back to what your question was, I think think I've made the same mistake over and over again. And that is that I have made decisions from a young age based on my values rather than logic. Okay, um, that's interesting. So I've always followed my heart around, um, you know, not-for-profits. So if I see a need, I want to be present there, I want to help that. And I never really thought through the ramifications, if I look at economically, of constantly following something that's beneficial to me in my passion, but not so beneficial to your back pocket Mm. Um, and I think one thing I'd add to that would be I remember the time where I was reflecting and journaling and realized that where I was at that point I was giving the best of myself constantly out and I wasn't actually always giving the best of myself within my own home and my own family Um, Mm. and I think it's something that I adapted changed and have poured myself back into that environment Um, But I think your kids learn a lot from watching you. I definitely believe that. But I also have learned some valuable lessons around my kids saying things like, if I'm expressing concern around, you know, this could be this or that could be that, and I wasn't always around, your kids will say things like, I think that's your issue, Dad, it's Ah. not mine. (laughs) Um, So I think talking about how it becomes a positive, though, is that what makes you you and some of the ideas we talk about here are because of those experiences and if you separate out that economic variant then you realize that who you become as a person is based on those experiences and at times those mistakes and they make you who you are Um, and as i say now to most people is you're always going to learn something and nothing you do is a waste of time it's not going to come to nothing there will be something learned from that there will be something experienced from that. But yeah, that's the one that came to my mind is feel like I'm making that right decision, but there's mm. always a cost to the decision in some way, shape or form. There's a cost to that. Mm. If you don't mind me just delving in a little bit there, just I'm curious to um, ask a question because you, you mentioned you've always moved into yeah, supporting and giving and not-for-profit not and that it hasn't been financially uh, well off for you um, in, in a sense. Uh, it, What's your relationship with finances from a young age? You, did you grow up in a in a, a what was it family, a rich family, a poor family? Was there financial issues there that have kind of led to that? I think no. We were never we were never a wealthy family. I mean, in essence, Dad was a pastor, and we travelled to Bustleton to start a church. So, you know, we were never in a 
a wealthy wealthy mm. place so I think that's probably got some bearing on it. The other bearing is I realize that my personality type is a helper type. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes the, the thing that you do. The older you get, the, the more healthy you get in that to realize that, mm. you know, um, you need to say no. And you need to be careful of codependent relationships where you need to help to be fulfilled in yourself. Mm. So I think, I think that's part of it. Um, but if I'm interpreting what you're asking, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is does that growing up in that space of not having money influence my decisions and therefore where mm. I am today? Mm. Yeah, because I know for a fact that um, in my family, my, my, when my parents split up, my dad had hardly any money. My mom um, had to borrow money off the next door neighbour to pay for the mortgage for the house. Like, just uh, I can remember pretty much just having tuna, tuna, tuna fish, pasta, and tomato sauce for, mm. for dinner, or, or you know, some smiley faces and some chicken nuggets for dinner. And that's it's because of what all my mum could afford as a single mother. Um, but then there was a, a big divorce battle of how much money they would get from mm. X, Y, and Z. So there was always financial things. And my dad was always saying to me, oh, your mum just wants my money. Mm -hmm. And my mum was always saying, you, you know, your dad's got all this money, but he's not, he's not paying for your welfare and all this sort of stuff. So yeah. there, was, there was a lot of kind of, I guess, money was a negative thing to me growing mm. up and um so i feel that i feel that has given uh, put a limitation on how much i can earn and mm. how fat mm. it, it makes it's given me a bit of a scarce mindset but also a mindset in terms of i don't care mm. as well like the you know the fact i'm moving over to indonesia like uh, my, my business coach comrade he he said to me like well what about the future of your family and the finances behind that and i was like look because me and Delphine end up living in a hut with a with a little kid on the beachfront, and we got no money to us, and we're just bringing up that. It's like I'm okay with that. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I don't, I don't need the the big houses, the big cars. Uh, you know, I think mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not come from that. But I also think the negative of that is, is also there's a scarce, scarcity mindset there yeah, yeah. as well that I've had to work through. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then yeah, seeing the value in yourself, like a big number. Like for example, if I was to get a payment of two thousand dollars in one go, I'd be like, "Oh my god, that's a lot of money." But then you got people who get two hundred grand in one yeah, go and yeah. go, oh, "I wish it was five hundred grand." Uh, you yeah. know, it's 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 insane how you, like the I guess and I guess it's from the upbringing, right? If you've got someone who's brought into a wealthier family, they they can see the money, they can see uh, the abundance of it. And that gives a different mindset. So that mm. was that was more of the uh, the angle that was coming. Yeah, out. yeah. No, so. it's a good question. I mean, I I could say I've often said money's not a driver for me. Mm. But sitting back and asking that question around, how does that influence your thinking now around that? And is there like a mood of resignation, so to speak, that it that it's not yours to have? Yeah, um, is something that I haven't thought deeply through. Yeah, it's interesting because you, I think, twi I think you said at the beginning of the podcast as well. You mentioned about money as well. So twice it sort of came up in the conversation. So it's obviously there's something in your in your head about about the the money side of things. It's called that. being forty four. Yeah, you, you think differently post post you, a certain period of your you life. Do, you do, you know, because I've never thought that way. Yeah, it's never okay. been an issue. Interesting, yeah. it, it and is. you're in a transition period just now as yeah. well. So that's right. You're doing your own coaching, or you're starting to do your own coaching, yeah. and, and that's playing on your head. Yeah, especially at this age. Although, yeah, I don't know now how old I was, thirty something. Um, but it is when you start your own thing and really, although you've been through the journey before and on different projects and different things. So. Mm. Yeah, I've just taken the slow, slow approach. <laughs> just like 
started working at home um, when the kids were very young, which was good. I was able to do that um, and have a couple of clients and just to have a little computer set up. And Joanne was working full time, not in a massive wage. Um, and just slowly, just, I mean, I'm not anybody, I'm just, I'm a bit too chilled sometimes in regards to goals and, you know, aspirations and, and money as well. It's like, I've, it's never been a driver. Like, we didn't talk about money mm. at all mm. as a kid. Like, I wouldn't even know what a bank balance was probably until I was 16, 17 or something like that. There was never a money talk or like money smarts and, you know, how, this is what you should be mm. doing with your money and, and whatever. My parents split at, when I was about eight, I think it was. Um, again, my, yeah, my dad didn't have much money and it was a pretty even split and it wasn't a, a dirty sort of fight for, for everything. My mum got the house and it was all quite sort of subdued. Like, as I said, everybody just takes the... Everybody's just like, not chilled, but sort of just gets, gets on with them. Um, yeah, and money was never a, a driver. Joanne's driven a bit by money um, and I am more so now, but not... It, it's controlled. Mm. understand money much better than I used to mm. and having a good accountant is the number <laughs> the number one thing for that um, but I don't know it's money's such a money's just an idea yeah it's not even a real thing it's the value we place on it isn't it for yeah. some it's security mm. it means I'm secure um, and there's obviously practicalities with that it's like you need certain amounts of money especially living where we are I mean you cannot live without money in Perth or you can but it's going to be difficult mm-hmm. I mean I, my, my parents I can say they, they, there was no education around finance no education around and, uh, what you do with your money I, I, until I was, I think... No maybe, internet either, and you couldn't even find out for your friggin' self. Yeah, I don't think it was until <laughs> I was 25 and 26 and started to listen to Tony Robbins that I heard oh, about, really? like, uh, you know, uh, compounding interest and <laughs> these accounts where you can put money in and they grow and investments and stuff like that. I just thought you just put money in the bank and it just, you, you mm. stay there and you take money in the bank when you need to use it and you put it in there. So I've always just been the individual only pay for things if you've got the money in the bank to yeah, yeah. and then just put the money back in the bank when you can. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's, that's, yeah. a, that's, that's probably the best mentality to have, I would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so I've got like, uh, you know, I've got, I've got cash saved up, but like I've got nothing in long-term investments or anything like that. And, um, you know, I've got family, friends back at home who, who families obviously were more educated in finances. And from the age of 18, 19, they had investments into infrastructure in Brazil and these different countries and small amounts of this and that and there. And, you know, they'll probably retire it. 55 because mm. they're able to on, on that money whereas I, you know, I'm, I can't see my future ahead but you know, the, the typical individual my parents were probably going to still be working until they're 65 if they can yeah. um, and just just continue to work in a job mm. uh, and I think there's, there is a big massive difference in there and I think that uh, wherever that comes from just yeah the, the well, it's your parents' education as well isn't it the knowledge around that and what they're able to pass on to you. Yeah, yeah. I think the health, your health is probably your biggest investment anyway, which you mm. are, are pretty on top of. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's always been one of my biggest values is, is health. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I always try to reflect on why that is. Uh, partly my dad. My dad's very into his fitness and, and uh, he's, you know, he's into his weightlifting and, and always growing up, there was always vitamins everywhere and protein oh, really? thick powders. And mm. He would tell me what they're for and different oh, things wow, okay. and take me to the gym from a young age. But, and my, my granddad died at a young age. 
Um, my great grandma, I remember her dying and having an impact as well. And just a few things around health. And my mom was always yo-yo dieting as well. And she was always talking about how she needs to lose weight. And she actually kind of passed a little bit of a, um, a body, uh, an eating issue with me as well. Like looking at myself and going on too much weight on now. Mm. And I need to cut back and then I'll go heavier again and light again. And I probably recognized that maybe about three or four years ago. Uh, my relationship with food was was very like my mom's, but because I was so active in sports, yeah, yeah. like I wasn't, you know, I was uh, I was able to not get ob- obese in no way. Like you, know, you, you talked about sideboard side door barbecue. Like when you said that, I was like, I could go there and just demolish absolutely everything. <laughs> like you know, for me, barbecue sweet stuff, yeah, Texan yeah, sweet yeah, stuff yeah. is is what I what I thrive on. That cornbread they've got is like yeah. my favorite thing. <laughs> but yeah, I, I could I, I could eat like that all the time. But I knew if it did. It would kill me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally, if you ate, you're allowed to have it every now and again. Right? Yeah. So, oh, that's the big thanks for your permission. <laughs> <laughs> We're just coming off a three-day fast as well. Yeah, which is indeed. Interesting. Um, and you've fasted before, Luke. You've, yeah. What's the longest you've fasted for? Uh, I think I did five, five or seven days. Oh, you said that. Ooh. That was through the the religious holidays. Mm. So what is yeah. that? A Christian tradition, or is that? Yeah, I think it's more like a. It's probably a Pentecostal variant okay. of okay. Christianity. So it's that denial of self. Okay, so it's the to bring I will more not, spiritual yeah. awakening okay. side. Yeah, so it was the church I was a part of encouraged that. So I did it. Water. Pretty you allowed water. I was allowed water. Wine. No wine. No wine. No. Oh, I didn't drink wine at that time because you weren't allowed to drink. How old were you? Oh, jeez. I'll be in my twenties, early twenties. You weren't allowed to drink through no. the in the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, really? Well, that that was. I want to know more about this church. It's interesting. No mm. drinking at all. That was. No. So when did you actually have your first alcoholic drink? Well, before I when I grew up, the I first drank. podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> when I was young, um, like I think I drank from a very young age. So yeah. I think you mentioned you yeah. mentioned that in the podcast before. Yeah. Actually, so yeah. my experience with life was. Um, I think I, so we were living in Geraldton and um, we were part of the church down there. And I remember um, dabbling a little bit um, with some older crew and trying beer and trying smoking. And I think it was seeing a woman that was prayed for for two years to be healed of cancer who was close to us and she passed. Um, and I remember being in hospital saying, "Is if this is who you are to God, then you can... Uh, Mm. you can go away from that point on i was up for anything yeah so you know all through my teens all through that um and i don't think i like returned to the church probably till i was around seven seventeen so i was still going but not actively and i remember returning um and um, probably from that point on didn't drink for a very long time do you remember the moment you sort of went back to the church or what what made you go back? Was it just a maturing thing, or it was football camp? <laughs> Drank uh, three quarters of a bottle of Jim Beam in the space of an hour. Um, walked outside, passed out. It was raining, and for the next I don't know how long, I was just vomiting what felt like straight Jim Beam. Cool. And I remember sitting there crawling up to the house because everyone had gone back up to the house because I was passed out. Um, and I remember crawling up to the house going. This isn't living, mate. Like, this isn't a good way to um, work through your pain. 
and work through what's taking place, it's probably time to shift it. And I think I just went back to church and then that, that already driver was there and that uh, an emotional connection with wanting life to change. So that's what made me return. Um, Imagine if you only had a glass of Jim Beam that night. Your life may be completely, completely different. Completely different, yeah. Could be, could, could be. be. There yeah. goes the error you made. Yeah, that's another one. Perfect one. That's a perfect one. I think I was I was thirteen when I first had my first drink. Mm. Uh, maybe even a little bit younger. My um, my I had my brother was two years older, and then my oldest cousin would have been five years older. So I would have been thirteen. He would have been eighteen. And we used to get these little bottles of beer called Beer de France. And uh, they, they would drink them and they're like, oh, do you want to try some of this beer? And I think like 3.5% or whatever. And I remember just drinking it when I was maybe like 12 or 13. But the, the similar incident to you, I think I went to, my, my, I went to my, my, my mate's birthday at his place, which was maybe a 15-minute walk away from where I live. And it was all the, we were in year seven at the time, we were all around together. And uh, his older sister had a bottle of peach snaps. Oh, and I remember just drinking it, just thinking like, oh no, this is that so sweet. But like showing off in front of everyone, look at this, look at me, and then like spinning around, necking it all. And the uh, next minute, I was just like upstairs, vomiting everywhere. My mom got called. She took me home and like you, I was, I was crawled up. Cause we used to live on a, um, which my parents still do, live on like a, a bit of a hill. Like, like, like it's only, you know, probably only 15 meters long, but it's really steep and just crawling up that, crawling into, just ah. passing out and just never, even now, if I can smell a peach smash, yeah. I'm just like, oh man, that's that, disgusting. That was me on, I got, I got messy on a Southern Comfort and Coke <laughs> and I cannot smell that <laughs> at all. Can't go near it. Never had it since. When I first, I think my dad used to get us shandies when we were like eleven mm. or twelve. Yeah, like, they used to do that in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> get, no, get, I, you get the kid a shandy, yeah. he'll be he'll be all right. I used to love going buying a shandy, half lemonade, half beer, shandy um, bastard blue can. <laughs> <laughs> but big big drinking was probably fifteen, I think. Actually, coming going back from Australia to the UK for Christmas to see my sister and dad and and everybody, um, going out to a nightclub. And I was, this was, I was 15 or 16 getting into a nightclub and just drinking way too much and waking up in the toilets with the bouncer like, sort of like <laughs> standing, nudge, nudge, standing over <laughs> me and just coming out and just like, just breathe. It was Scotland's in winter, breathing the cold air and just that, that, that makes you wake up pretty quickly. Mm. And then the hangover the next day. And I remember it was, we were staying at my sister's boyfriend's parents' house in Linlithgow. And I remember the dad coming down in the morning, just like having a, having a really funny go at me, like it was so good. Um, but I haven't learned that lesson. I still, well, I don't, I don't pass out at nightclubs anymore, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just at home instead. Just, yeah, just, just, just you and the bottle yeah, of whiskey. Just my own nightclub. <laughs> Music live. <just. laughs> still waking um, up in the, ba- in the bathroom, but your hands are over. What are you doing down there? <laughs> I've got an interesting like relationship with alcohol I think and it's developing as I get older um, and it's I suppose listening to you know different podcasts about health and well-being and this and that da, 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 and you know alcohol is, is, I mean and it rightfully should have a bad name because it's a it pretty much is a poison but it's mm. it is something I think when used in it's, it's a drug like anything else it's a like like marijuana or like whatever it's something that you can it, look it done with the right intent and and um, control is something um, that I think is is good but it's been in humans for thousands of years like and different types of um, 
natural sort of um, natural like psychedelic stuff and whatever they've been been with with us for thousands of years and alcohol is probably more a European thing I suppose um, that's where it probably came from and I just I don't know I've got an interesting I'm, I'm, I'm quite addictive personality like mm. uh, and I don't even know if an addictive personality is what, what would make you sort of have a relationship with with alcohol so I've, I've been going back and forward recently because I've been getting into the whiskey and uh, stuff like that. So, and probably drinking like probably the last couple, oh, probably a year and a half, two years, having like a glass of wine, and then later on have a glass of whiskey at home every night. Yeah. Okay. And I, I don't know, it's Christian guilt or whatever. Like yeah. talking, is, is it like a, is it bad? Is it good? Is it is it not? Like somebody saying that you know, and you read these health things about you know, what's too much to drink, and it's like you know, do you drink more than two glasses of alcohol a week? And you're like. <laughs> Yes, like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. So I'm in a bit of a journey there just now. And the fasting, I've always done dry July, which is always mm. amazing. In my mind, I don't know how I do it. Like hit July, zero alcohol for 31 days, like without even a, I mean, it'd be nice to have one, but there's no, it's just like get on with it. And then as soon as it's like I'm allowed to have it, it's like, you know, you have a couple of beers on mm. Friday night and then a glass of wine during the week and stuff. It's really a weird, weird thing, eh? It's that, a, it's that definition thing as well, again. Like, you know, with this 72-hour fast, my housemate said to me, he's like, do you think you can do it? I was like, yeah, that's it. Like, no, I've said I'm going to do it. it that's it, the thing, I'm going to do it. It's like a, you're holding yourself accountable and mm. having somebody else doing it with you as well, yeah. It's good. Yeah. I mean, alcohol for me has always been one of those things where... It's not something I visit regularly. I'm not a massive fan of the flavor of many of the drinks. Yep. Um, peach snaps. Yeah, especially peach snaps. <laughs> like, I, I can even remember at university just not really liking the taste of beer or... or Inter- like interesting. But, okay, and you were a rugby dude as well. Yeah. You would have been oh, I, in amongst it. <laughs> but I would have nailed, I would have gone out and nailed like you know, 15, 20 pints in a night. Just, mm. But I would have always been the person around the table, the drink's still full. It'll be one of a drink. All right, I'll just finish it there and then. Uh, like I'd wait till last minute, school mm-hmm. a lot, get the next round in, and then I'd have like ten minutes between a sip, ten twenty minutes between a sip, and then just wait for everyone to finish and just drink it because I didn't like the taste of it. Mm. And so when I got now, it's very similar thing. I was at a brewery. Was it I think last weekend? No, the weekend before. And um, I've started to enjoy some beers now more than others. And you know, I've opened up to different flavors, and I think my 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 tongue is changing as I mature mm. and enjoying wines and whiskeys a lot more but um, yeah still the same thing once I get into that mindset of like I'm going for a drink it's like the rugby morning comes back out <laughs> again and it's like you know, you're drinking you, you're going to have a big night you're just going to be a mess and like never never violent we're always yeah. good, always always just have fun. a good fun and it's yeah. nice to be around and people, but a bit of a, like an idiot at the same time just cracking jokes and just being a bit of a boisterous lad and um, like it's it's always it's a shame because it's a part of me that has always been there that many people have, in my life have enjoyed they've enjoyed me going out they've enjoyed knowing party martin and then um yeah you have to kind of you don't have to suppress it but like i i shy away from showing that sort of side of me on on social media and stuff mm-hmm. like that because a lot of people frown upon on that sort of stuff and i've got negative con- comments in the, in the in the past about uh, your behavior and things i'm like well I'm it's not. interesting eh? It's, yeah it's like it's, it's just it's harmless like you know i'm having a bit of a joke but mm. i guess it's a reflection it, it's mirroring them at the end of the day it's like what are you sort of doing but then it's the op- it's because it's the opposite of what my persona at work is yeah you know, professional medical you can't be doing this and that at the same time like, well why not 
Mm. It's the mask that we talked about mm. in the first episode. Mm. Party Martin mask. Mm. Everybody's got it in them. I mean... Mm. I don't. Um, like, at work, I grew up with a, a good boss who... Um, he always said to me, he said, never get messy at a work party because people will never forget the fact that you were messy at a work party. And he says, the moment you have to correct someone, they're just going to remember you dancing on the table. <laughs> like he goes, it becomes really hard. So even now at work, I won't drink too much. Um, and I've always had this thing where when I'm with people I trust, then I'll drink more. Um, if I'm out with certain mates who drink a lot, I watch myself naturally drink less through the night. <laughs> like if they're, if they're going yeah, yeah. hard, I just drink less. I don't know what that is. Um, but if I'm, if I'm with friends and that, then yeah, I'll, I'll drink. Um, I think the thing that I've become more aware of is at times when, when you were mentioning of considering yours is, I think if I look back at my life, there's times where I've consumed alcohol because I'm anxious. And that, that suppresses that, that puts a lid on that. And so the thing I look at now is, is asking that question of, okay, you know, if you're going too hard too soon, midweek, what's going on for you that you're doing that? Mm. In the same way that if I'm eating heaps of sugary food mm. that I wouldn't normally, what's driving that, what's going on? So I think what you said before is really important is sometimes it doesn't matter what you're doing. I mean, we have a version of events which say one is worse than the other. But I think sometimes it's just what's what's going on. Are you stressed? Oh, Are you feeling anxious? Because yeah. um, I notice that when I'm going through periods of my life where I'm higher stressed, then there's an there is an inclining to eat more high sugary or carb orientated foods because the body's naturally in that stress zone, so you're mm. consuming higher variants. Um, and there's been times where midweek drinking, I would drink when I'm stressed. So one of my little rules now is if work's really stressful, don't drink. Don't drink midweek. Just don't do it because that's just for me. I'm not saying anyone else has to do that. It's just something I do mm -hmm. because I know that there will be a leaning towards using that as a, as a mechanism to cope through that stress environment. And then I'll miss the opportunity to work through it in a different way. Um, and I, look, if I, I think for anybody, if you have one Wednesday night where it was stressful and you, you drank too much, I wouldn't be beating yourself mm. up. You know, mm. I wouldn't be... I, I think I'm talking about how habits form in human beings is you start doing something for a reason that may be unknown to you, then it becomes regular, then it becomes habit. And I look at overconsumption of anything and I don't think anyone sets out to do it, although there's an inherent darkness in them all the time. Maybe predisposition possibly, genetically, but sometimes it's just you've formed a habit that you don't know why you're formed. Yeah. And then you're there regularly going, oh, we're cooking together, let's have a wine. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's just another way that it could work with a cup of tea. Maybe. I, mean, I could I can testament to that because one of the reflections that I noticed during the seventy two hour fast was um not the not the the first night, but after the second night after because obviously we started seven PM at night yeah. time. So I slept fine that night, trained the following day. Then that day I was a bit tired. Then I couldn't sleep at all that, that following night. I was real struggled. But the following day, I just was just riddled with kind of like this, this under, under, underlying anxiety in me. And I was like, like, okay, right. I need to really think about this because am I anxious because there's a lot going on in my life? Or have I just been... And, and what I've just been doing is just hiding that with food. Because I know um, for the last... Well, 
during my powerlifting training up to that and then past after that i've just been being gluttonous with my food just been eating purely for pleasure and i i know that when i do that it's me trying to run away from something trying to hide something and this fast really revealed that to me it's like oh man actually there's, there's there's stuff you need to sit with and you know it made me sit there with it and this last 24 hours it's, it's been gone but it's because i had a, you know, a pretty pretty awesome conversation with a guy on on, the, on my podcast and uh i pretty much opened up with you know i've been fasting but i've been feeling really anxious and he's like he, and straight away he was like okay well what are you feeling anxious about and i told him that i'm moving to indonesia and all this sort of stuff and he's like isn't that normal to feel a bit anxious mm. about that yeah exactly like, yeah 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 i guess so yeah. he's like is it excitement? So because it's hard to tell whether it's anxiety or excitement. It's like, should you be a bit afraid? Should be should you be cautious? I'm like, yeah. It's like, well, that's just a natural part of you yeah. of, of what you should be. It's like, so yeah, you don't really need to hide it. It's mm. fine. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, it makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a good point. I mean, accepting it, accepting you're anxious doesn't mean you're accepting that's who you are inherently or who you always be. It's it's what you're experiencing at this point in time, and I think. I'd agree with that. I think you need to accept that that's where you're at. Sometimes the creativity comes when you accept and mm. go, you're open to going, what's going on for me? And then, oh, I could do this or I could do that. Mm. But if we're struggling to accept it, then we're fighting it. Yeah. And that doesn't work for you. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely been a lot more creative and productive for the last two days as well. Mm. Since, I guess since that conversation really is like, I've been flowing really well. I'm like, okay, well, maybe it is the conversation that got rid of that as yeah. well as the fasting and I have yeah. to worry about the distractions of food. But that's definitely one thing that I've said to myself. like, hey, um, when I'm usually at home, it usually means that I don't prep food because I can cook food. Mm. Okay, but that's also wasting time because if I prep the food, then I'm not going to be distracted. I have to go and eat it. Mm. Whereas I'm usually like, oh, what shall I have? I'll just have a bit of this, bit of that. Yeah. I'll go and sit back down mm. again. Oh, I'm still hungry. I'll go back to the fridge and... Before you know it, you're disrupting yourself every 30 yeah. minutes rather than actually you know, having a solid three-hour work block and then yeah. going to eat. I'm with you on that. If I, if I let myself get too hungry and I don't have a plan, I'll eat whatever's there. Mm. And I think that's a natural thing is you need calories. If you leave it too long and you put yourself in that place, it doesn't matter what's there. Oh, I'll just get it in me and keep going. Having a plan helps you work through that. Mm-hmm. You know what you're going to eat. Yeah, the men, the, the mental side of the fasting is the is the the best part of it. I think is the high that I get from it is just being able to stick to your guns. And you said like the the food distraction is how it's in, it's built into our life. It's absolutely ridiculous, and you realise that when you're fasting because you'll find yourself wandering into the kitchen and going. I'm fasting and then wandering out again. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> all having dreams. <laughs> exactly, dreams about food. Yeah. Uh, what was uh, it? Mount Barker chicken. Mount Barker chicken. <laughs> if you know from Mount Barker chicken, I've got a great story to tell for your advertisements. Get in touch. <laughs> um, but energy-wise, the body. I mean, it's the second time I've done a long fast. Did four, I did two days? I think, or it was just over two days, two and a half days. I think the morning after I stopped the fast. But the seventy-two hours is. The last day was felt good in the morning, like mm. really good, um, focused. Started. I think it was more the thought of food coming and knowing that the end was near creates probably an anxiety or excitement. Mm. Same thing. Yeah. So that felt good. Like we had a little bit of bit of food. That was our first food since Saturday night. This is now t- Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a long time, eh? And I kept when I was saying to the like the kids were asking, "Are you still not eating?" I was like, "No, not just now." 
I was thinking about it. Like, that's a lot, it is a long time. Mm. But your body needs it. Your body needs that reset, needs that little scare to reactivate cells. And, you know, they, they say it from an aging perspective, probably more so what you do, look at the intermittent fasting where you're having like a good 16-hour break. Um, you know, is it every day you do that? Yeah, yeah. Except on Saturdays and Sundays, sometimes I like to cook breakfast. There's a good science behind it. The hunger hormone that we, um, we produce called ghrelin is uh, basically a driver of growth hormone. So when we get an increase in ghrelin, which when you intermittent fast or you fast for long periods, you get you get a massive increase in growth hormone, which is essentially what the, is the best hormone for anti-aging, for yep. skin, for hair, for for um, strength of your bones, all that sort of stuff. So yep. it's it's all driven by these hormones that are released yeah. in the body from that eating. Yeah. I was listening to something today with a guy I can't remember David Sinclair or something like that. I think his name was um, biologist at Harvard. He. Um, was had been doing some um, experiments on mice, like t- ten thousand mice. I don't know if it was him or his colleague, and it was about eating habits. So, mm. some like percentage of the mice were getting fed all the time. Percentage were having a, a break in between. Some were fasting, like only getting fed every couple of days. And by far, the ones that lived the longest and were the healthiest were the ones that were having big breaks in between eating, like big breaks in between eating. Um, and yeah, I mean it's. This fasting's really done well for you. You remembered a reference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did. I probably <laughs> bastardized his name. I don't. Is that because the most hungry rats just ate the rest? Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah that's the one. <laughs> there's only there's only two Why rats left in, yeah. in, the, in the whole thing. <laughs> so they survived but... the longest. It's like, well, the other rats died. How did they die? They were eaten. No, they were they were filming. Them. They knew what happened. They, okay. They had little plates and everything. It was good. Yeah. So yeah, it's in, it's interesting. Yeah, they reckon um, with the the change in our um, health data that we're going to be getting over you know the next decade or so, we'll be wearing patches that are going to be t- pretty much telling us everything that's happening with our body, which will be fed straight to your doctor, who will then sort of. They reckon if if at our age um, and more so obviously for kids that are like in their teens, the age will if if you do everything right, you'll be living to a hundred easy. Um, and probably pushing that to like into the teens. Um, yeah, they reckon 120. Yeah. some will be living to. Yeah, yeah, just with that, because um, I mean, our body's just always in a, a state of entropy. It's, it's, we're breaking down bit yeah. by bit with all the things firing all the time, and it's the the rejuvenation they're trying to to capture in the science. Like, how do we rejuvenate? How do you get the body to naturally rejuvenate itself? Mm. And obviously, they're going through stem cell stuff and and all sorts of things, but. We're living in a really interesting time because the technology, the, the data is just increasing tenfold every, every month. Um, I think I, f- I personally have a, you know, a, a despite being a, a, you know, a scientist and someone who like, would like to look at all that technology and all that data, I think it's also a partly the wrong way to go. I think we, we, we're so unaware of how our bodies feel and how in, in tune we are with our bodies. Like, you know, if, if we doing a fast like me becoming aware of my anxiety and becoming aware of how i feel on the internal something is sending something to my brain to say hey look there's something going on here now if you've just got data coming on all over the place you're just relying on that 
You just all of a sudden you're going to be okay. Oh, my blood sugar says it's dropping down there. Okay, right. That means I need to go and eat now. You you are a robot. I think being, it's not as micro as that. They're not saying like you look at that one little thing and go and change yeah, everything. But, but that's, it's, that's, it's that's all coming together. Yeah, into but like that's, a, that's the, you know, the 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 far spectrum of it. But uh, we, even just having your watches on and things like that, you, you're becoming so reliant on external stuff. We're losing our interoception, our awareness of ourself, our self-awareness. Do you think we are in our natural self fully in or should be fully in tune with mm. your body? I think people who before technology, uh, before housing, before, you know, people living out in nature, you would have been so aware of the how your body felt, what you should be doing, in tune with your, it's your instincts at the end of the day, it's your biological instincts. Now we're, you know, if we're having something on the external, you're being driven away from those but, biological instincts. But obviously the external data has been around probably for like 20, 30 years or more. Um, and life expectancy is longer now. So how do you explain that? Like we are actually living longer now. Yeah, we're, the health, we're the healthiest we've ever been. You've got so. medicines that keeping us, keeping us. Um, uh, I wouldn't say we're the healthiest we've ever been. We're not the healthiest. We're living the longest. We're certainly not the healthiest we've ever been. Um, in terms of look at the West, look at the, the obesity rates and look at the cardiovascular disease and stuff like that. I would say we were a lot more healthier 100, 100 years ago. We were dying sooner because of lack of medicine. But um, what we, I think that will drive us to be more longevity and it will continue to, to lay that out. But I, just, I think there will be more issues with anxiety, uh, not being able to manage your own physiology. The stuff that I teach in terms of breath work, it's all internal stuff. It's getting you to reflect on the internal to go, hey, there's an issue here. I need to go and resolve it. Now you've got something that you're relying on this over here. You're never going to be looking on the internal. What about if you, would you have a good life if you could live forever? Uh, that's that's a, a pretty interesting question. Um, no, I think you'd suffer. I think life is suffering. I think the more uh, the further, if you were to live forever, then I think you'd you'd have more more burdens on you yeah. than you would um, necessarily positives, unless 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 you you're the person who's leading the world and, and changing it for the better. And you think you know you, you're trying to be someone like Jesus Christ, but uh, Jesus Christ could only do it for a certain amount of time and lead that until he got you know, sacrificed and. Mm-hmm take on the burdens of the world I think yeah, if you're living forever then immortality would be a hard, yeah. hard one is it what's, what's, hard what's the film the, uh, is it ben, uh, Benjamin Button or something uh, like that? Yeah, yeah, the story yeah. of Benjamin Button mm-hmm. where he, I don't know he's reverse aging or something yeah. or he's yeah. live forever um, but no it's a who knows like that, that because if you knew that you could live forever then does that change your mindset it would it would in some way I think I mm. don't know how but the mortality definitely mm especially when you're getting older becomes a something to either ponder on or think about or it's the one thing we've all got in common yeah <laughs> we are all going to die at some stage mm-hmm. you know be lovely if it's 120 and still functioning well that'd be pretty cool but um yeah i don't know immortality man it would be what do i do tomorrow what do i do in, in a thousand years like what yeah, it'd probably be different from the moment you started to the many, many, many years later. Um, I think you'd transition. You'd go from suffering of loss of loved ones to possibly not wanting to love again, to so abusing, to this. get good at abusing and manipulating people for what you wanted, to making extreme wealth, to not caring about anything. So just go through like, everything, just I give think, everything yeah, a go. Yeah, I mean, I think you would. A serial you killer? Know. Would you do a serial well, killer? Well, if you can't die, like, then 
maybe that would challenge the normal rules and values that you are bound by in being an undivine entity. Suddenly, if you're immortal, you might go through stages of, I'm better than everyone. I am a god. Like, it might be different for people at different times, but I think it opens a big door to bringing out For a Netflix TV series, I've got it. Possibly it brings out both the greatest... Immortal Michael. Yeah. It probably brings out the greatest elements of ourselves and maybe the, I mean, that's the dark, really, most so dark interesting what you're saying about like seeing, seeing yourself live forever and all that stuff you go through, but these, these thoughts are in us anyway. For, for the mortal person, I was going to say mortal man, but then I'd know I'd have to like, correct myself and say person. Um, so I went back. <laughs> um, so that's all in us already. Mm. But See, maybe I'd never kill someone, but after 300 years, maybe I'd <laughs> no, want to give it a go. It. <laughs> yeah, you've really annoyed me, and I normally wouldn't do this. What does it feel like to kill someone? If you're a serial killer, how would you kill people? Jeez, this is going in a very dark direction. <laughs> I have never, I can honestly say I've never thought about that. Well, that's a, for next time. For next a, time. Come, come pre-prepared. So how ne- would next, you kill next conversation we're going to start, if you're a serial killer, how would you kill someone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, that's the thing. You don't want to go there, do you? You don't want to go there. You I'm can not sure think it's, about, a, it's not beneficial, possibly. <laughs> but not for the other person. Maybe not even for you yeah, and not. me. If it was a serial killer, wouldn't care though. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's I a think whole we'll um, kill the conversation there. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one thing I've thought about. Let's kill the conversation. <laughs> serial killer. Nice. Okay, so serial killers. Martin, how would you know? <laughs> but we're talking about the evil in us, the darkness in us. And, you know, it's interesting that if you're immortal, that that could become real. Or the thought of it. I mean, it's obviously, we're just thinking here. We're could just become a possibility. Yeah. Too. yeah. I mean, you've had many, many years, possibly it's deeply lonely too. <laughs> well, yeah. all, all of the last million years. So. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. people die around you. You get tired of talking about the same things, seeing the same elements of humanity repeat themselves from decade to decade to decade like we don't think like this but if we put ourselves in that position and you're a hundred years later you're like i've seen this before i see it's like traveling in the future isn't it and going back to back to the future and forward being immortal the chances are if you're immortal you're going to accidentally kill someone anyway yeah possibly that's true (laughs) good point so then you might just go Oh, oh, that's what that feels like. That's actually that bad, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I've got to live with it anyway, so I may as well to continue to do it. I'll oh, just kill the bad people could be where it starts. Ooh, I like it. Superhero style. I like it. I like it. What would be your superhuman strength if you could have one? Or your, your ability, I should say. Laser eyes. Mm. No. I think if I look at superheroes... From a young age, it's always the flawed Hulk and Wolverine type characters mm. that uh, have got a rage issue, um, but have a desire to help and protect. But the way they do it is flawed. Um, I think they've always been... So the Hulk is something that grows um, out of rage to seek to have control over elements that are uncontrollable. Wolverine, 
very similar thing. Um, doesn't grow, but has an in immortality element to him, a deep rage problem, has a softness to him, but shields that and just wants to dominate anyone who's evil and destroy. Um, I've never been a Superman type. I think for me, it's the flawed characters that I like. <laughs> he's a bit know? perfect, isn't he? Superman. Apart so, from the kryptonite thing. but He's a little bit too perfect. Yeah. Um, so I'm definitely a Superman person. Yeah, I right. loved Superman growing up. And you know, we say that we do project our uh, onto superheroes. That's the whole yeah, concept yeah. of superhero. Our, our fantasies of what we'd like to be like. Yeah. And, uh, looking at Superman and thinking, you know, he's strong. He's like, in in the whole in the whole of like the the series, Superman's like you no know, no one can beat him. Mm. Right? That's the the concept of what Superman is. He's the best out of all the superheroes. And uh, I look at that and go, like, I even like when I was I remember literally like Clark, Clark Kent used to have that. Little, Thing across his hair. Mm. I used to like push my hair across, like as a kid when I like. Yeah, used to right. try and get that like, little curl and like little curl that he has, and everything like that. I mean, he was uh, interesting. Did you ever try and fly as a kid? Like actually think about it. Like see, you see a movie and you're sta- like, I'm talking. Yeah. Und- under fifteen. Yeah. Like, yeah, I would. I try and run five, in and jump out, and then five, like, try and do yeah. a big, big five, five or six. Yeah. It could actually happen. Yeah, it might do. Or yeah, a trampoline yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. many times. <laughs> Not to go too deep though, but if you think about Superman, his only weakness was to his past. Mm. Kryptonite was from past planet. It that was, was the only thing that could. That was under him all the time. It was yeah. what he was built on. Yeah, so it's the only thing that we look in the variant that was bringing him weakness. Or was it his mother? Can't, can't be mum. <laughs> um, how about you? That's a really good question. Even though I asked it originally, <laughs> can I didn't even. <laughs> um, <laughs> For me, Superman was probably... I grew up with Christopher Reeve in the movies, yeah. Superman. And, but it was never thinking about what the superpower was. But if, if I could do anything, I reckon immortality. No. <laughs> <laughs> and the circle is, is returned. The loop is closed. Yeah. Immortality and murdering people will get away. <laughs> that's it. That's my super... Anti-hero. But only bad people. Yeah, so like, you're, yeah. Yeah, anti-hero. yeah, anti-hero. Yeah, anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Anti-heroes have become like quite... Dexter. Dexter does his like Dexter, a murder, Dexter's a serial good. murder, but he just kills... Dexter's um, killers. Yeah. He's coming back. Oh, I've heard, heard this. Yeah, I've heard this. That'd be yeah. good. That'd be good. Oh, dear, are you eating again? <laughs> what have we done? Hour and 20. Probably cut off the last five minutes. <laughs> I think so. After the serial killer t- talk, apologies for that. That was yeah, maybe we we'll edit that, was that my one sub- out. Subliminal stopping of the podcast. See, that got philosophical though, which was partly enjoyable. Like thinking through the reality of the human experience in yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, immortality. Nietzsche, like, yeah, the, the Ubermensch, the Superman. Mm. You have to become. You have to become who you are. Like it's in you to to and and it includes power. It includes good. It includes love and music and art and. Yeah. Chaos, like Chaos, you've yeah. got to remember that Nietzsche killed himself. He didn't. He died in a hospital with mental mental issues. But he, he, was, went, he went insane. He did. That pic, that famous picture of him. You see him all the things. That's him when he was in the institution as well. You see it in his eyes, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean, look. I think if you go down too deep down the well, it's hard to come back. Yeah, I don't, it I is. I don't think Nietzsche is necessarily a person that you want to be following tra- no. tra- the tracks of. What I've learned is oh, you, you learn stuff yeah. from him, but you won't want to be like, I want to be like Nietzsche. No, not like him. No, not at all. <laughs> he was lonely and yeah, depressed. And but his thinking about humans and how they 
how they thought, and he loved as well. Like he he enjoyed his art, his music, and but yeah, he yeah he's lived in a strange time. I mean, of course. All right, I'm going to eat again. Yeah. <laughs>